0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. This is Squawk Box. Shares in Asia slip as China and the United States stand their ground over trade, casting doubt about the prospect of a deal to end the tariff war.
1: And U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo heading to Brussels for talks amid escalating tensions with Tehran, but telling me in an exclusive interview that the U.S. military ramp up in the Persian Gulf is not raising the risk of conflict.
2: We're not going to miscalculate. Uh, Our our aim is not war. Our, Our aim is a change in the behavior of the Iranian leadership. We hope the Iranian people will get what they finally want, what they so richly deserve.
3: Uh, Uber stutters in its widely anticipated debut, dropping over 7% to close well below its IPO price as shares in rival Lyft slump to a fresh low.
4: Manchester City fend off Liverpool to claim the Premier League crown by one point, as manager Pep Guardiola becomes only the third coach in the league's history to win back to back titles.
3: So look, you like I, like Karen, like Jeff, and good morning to you all by the way. Very rude of me not to say that first of all on a Monday morning, are trying to think of something original to say about the trade war situation as well, which is looking harsher more concerning for markets more longer term i was reading one piece of copy saying it's not actually the physical terms of trade that you need to worry about it's the lack of confidence that could emanate from this trade dispute on either side of the pacific so to find original copy original content original comment on this is quite hard so the only thing i'm going to say to you today which i think you probably haven't already read is 46 days that's how long, potentially, if we're not expected to see a meeting between Mr. Xi and Mr. Trump until the G20 meeting in Japan. 46 days is till the 28th of June. That is at the moment, and I'm sure something will have to happen in between then. That is the number of days that the markets, of course, not every one of those is trading day, have to negotiate. The rhetoric surrounding the fact that there isn't a big meeting on the table and hence there isn't going to be potential progress uh, in a situation which is very fast moving because of course it takes two to four weeks to cross the Pacific with those container ships as well and by the time they get to Los Angeles, by the time they get to the US West Coast ports, then they're going to have a 25% tariff slapped on them as well. So that is the main worry for markets and they can worry about all the other things as well like inflation watch, Fed watch, Brexit, European growth stories, etc cetera, etc cetera, as well. So with that in mind, US markets well, this is where they closed on Friday. There was some soothing language out of the administration early on as well, but I think the markets since then have decided to take a little bit of a turn uh, low, and we'll come to that in a few moments' time. I'll show you the Asian markets, X the Hang Seng, because we have no Hang Seng market today as well, but it's safe to say the Shenzhen composite down nine-tenths of 1%. The Shanghai composite is down 1% as well. Interesting looking at the ASX 200, and I just want to give you some other numbers uh, which I've drawn out from the stats of last week as well. Uh, copper. A four-week losing streak. That's the first time we've seen that since July 2018. Copper, uh, that's copper. Cotton trading its lowest level since November 17. Material sector in the US, a four-week losing streak. Tech broke an eight-week win streak and had its worst week since... uh, of 2019 as well. So some big moves to the downside for various commodities and various sectors as well. Opening calls for European markets. Let's have a look at those. Again, we have absorbed some of the worst of it. European markets were hit hard last week. Uh, We are called mildly higher, but I do wanna get to the US futures as well for you as well, just to show you how uh, they have turn south uh, a little bit there and just to show you that the futures changed down 29 points for the S&P and 247 points for the Dow as well but I have got one piece of good news for everybody this morning Yes. One of the steadying hands of global markets is back. Where? After Where? his sabbatical. One Where? of the people who can just uh-huh. calm the nerves uh-huh. and just push back on the rhetoric is back at the helm. It's like James T. Kirk is back at the enterprise. But... Good um, morning,
0: Jeffrey. Good morning. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much for the introduction. Good morning, Karen. Good morning, but I'm not sure that even my arrival back on Squawk <laughs> is going to do very much to calm the nerves at this moment, given how these twin-track issues of Iran and China are beginning to affect broader market sentiment. I mean, I wasn't here last week, but I watched from afar how the markets played the week. How far? uh, From not very far away. (laughs) And um, it's, it's clear that the markets at the moment are struggling. The earnings numbers maybe didn't justify a premium back in the market, and they're looking at some of this geopolitical stuff, and clearly people are nervous, right?
4: We've got plenty of it, haven't we? We were saying last week, you know, the three big risks that the market thought we were starting to solve, Brexit, the trade issues and the Fed had all started to effectively disappear Except what happened, uh, that narrative changed completely. We're back right to the, the escalation of a trade conflict. Brexit's not getting solved anytime soon. It will now added another layer on top of the geopolitics that you mentioned in the Gulf region.
0: And uh, you would have got your polling card through, no doubt, for the uh, European elections. Right. Uh, we can all get excited about that. I'm starting do to do see the that? flyers from political parties drop through the letterbox. Well, i have to say? How the
3: British be part of this? Thing?
0: Having combed those flyers, I can't find any policy statements that you could hang a, a commitment I'm to. Not,
3: I'm going to be apolitical about that situation, but I will tell you one thing. We had um, parish elections, local elections, uh, a week or so ago in uh, my area and throughout the country as well. Uh, And um, we had one person knock on the door down our lane as well. Uh, And I didn't take the call, but my my wife was at the door. And I could hear this poor gentleman saying, and again, I'm being apolitical, because... Hello, good afternoon. I, I have the unenviable task of having to represent the Conservatives in this election. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the poor bloke. I mean, let's face it. Mrs. May is getting a bit of a kick in, as usual, at the moment as well. She's got a split cabinet. But I think the way he just, the way that when my is the way he goes, I have the unenviable task of having to. I thought <laughs> you poor sausage.
4: We so made him a cup of tea.
3: Well, we didn't, we said, no, we're a bit busy putting <laughs> the kids <laughs> to bed.
4: <Yeah>. I think the <laughs> feature on the apolitical, i toss all the flies in the bin. In lockstep,
3: so that that
0: sort of ticks. Uh, the recycling, did I? yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of, oh, of course, short to Karen, actually, there. <laughs> even uh, the ones <laughs> from the Greens as well. <laughs> uh, President Trump claims the U.S. is "quote right where we want to be" with uh, China after the latest round of trade talks ended without agreement, according to Reuters sources. Talks broke down after China backtracked on a commitment to change laws which would prevent IP theft and stop forced technology transfers. The vice premier Liu He argued. The changes required by the U.S. could be enacted through decrees from China's State Council. The U.S. hiked tariffs on $200 billion worth of Chinese goods to 25% on Friday, ahead of the second day of talks with Liu He. China has yet to respond with countermeasures. Well, one of Trump's top advisors, Larry Kudlow, conceded that both the U.S. and China will suffer as a result of the increase in tariffs on Chinese goods. Speaking to Fox News, the director of the National Economic Council acknowledged that U.S. companies will end up paying tariffs, but said that China's economy will suffer as export markets are hit. Kudlow did offer some hope for a trade deal, saying talks will continue. We want to be as sure as we can be. We don't think the Chinese have come far enough. We'll wait and see. The talks will continue. And I will say this is a G20 meeting in Japan uh, toward the end of June next month. Um, The chances that President uh, Trump and uh, President Xi will get together at that meeting are probably pretty good. And one of the sticking points right now is we would like to see these corrections in an agreement which is codified by law in China, not just a state council announcement. We need to see something much clearer. And until we do, we have to keep our tariffs on. Larry Kudlow, China's state media has struck out at the U.S. following the end of the latest round of trade talks. In an editorial, the state-run People's Daily said no one should expect China to, quote, swallow bitter fruit that harms its core interests. Meanwhile, Vice Premier Liu He says he is still, quote, cautiously optimistic on trade talks, speaking to China's uh, central television or CCTV. TV. Uh, Following the conclusion of talks, Liu He warned Washington, Beijing is not scared. At present, the two countries have reached consensus in many aspects, but frankly speaking, differences still exist. I think all of the matters are crucial ones regarding our principle. Every country has its principle, and we will make no concessions on matters of principle. We will handle the problem rationally for the interests of the Chinese people, of the US people and for the people all around the world. But China is not scared, neither is the Chinese people.
3: In pure terms of the flows of trade, of course, the U.S. is at an advantage. But I want to refer to, the, uh, I think, Jim O'Sullivan, who's chief uh, economist at High Frequency Economics, fantastic commentator here as well. So in pure trade terms as well, of course, uh, a lot more from the uh, the Chinese. Right, about $540 billion worth of goods last year uh, went to the U.S. and U.S. goods went $122 billion the other way. So, yes, there's an asymmetrical advantage here for the U.S. in the terms of, who can leverage that current trade flow. But he makes it the excellent point. I'll just make this one point before you both come in. Including locally sourced inputs as well as exports, sales in China by U.S. multinational enterprise affiliates uh, totaled $464 billion in 2016, which is the most recent update we've got. So including U.S. multinational enterprise affiliates. It was $464 billion worth of goods in China uh, as of a couple of years ago. It's probably a bigger figure now as well. So that is a lot of leverage for the Chinese to hit back with, is all I'm saying.
4: I just want to take a look at the markets because, you know, we mentioned where the risks lie. What do you have you had? You've had a sell-off, a fairly aggressive sell-off on China markets that were bid up this year. So you've seen a reaction already to the trade fears priced back into the Chinese stock market. You've seen European markets turn tail as well. There's been a fairly decent retreat on some of the major industries, particularly on the FTSE. You've seen it on the DAX. Where have you not seen market moves? The US market has only come off a fraction from the highs. There hasn't really been a huge trade reaction. So it begs the question if we're going to see more negativity come in and some dismay from investors about whether a deal will be reached at some point in 2019 because we've been taken along some pathway for a long time now with a lot of faith that there will be a resolution then does it come out of the US market? Is that where the trade setting starts to transpire?
0: I just want to take a slightly longer term view and one of the curious things about what's going on in the global economy at the moment and particularly with the United States is that the tariffs that have already been imposed and the threat of an another 25% increase has barely moved the needle on CPI or PPI and this is a fascinating conundrum because if there's any silver lining in this story at all for shareholders it is the possibility that this action brings inflation back into the mix. It would validate the actions taken by the central banks and ultimately it would As companies begin to renegotiate their supply chains it would bring some pricing power back into corporates and that potentially could be positive for earnings on an 18 to 24 month story so you've got to balance off this issue of a reduction in trading activity and the potential threat to global trade with what possibly could happen to inflation and and we know and we know we know in a world where we are looking forward to very low returns for some years to come from markets the one rabbit that politicians could pull out of a hat here in a world that is over indebted in a world that can't pay back what it owes <laughs> is to reintroduce inflation into the global economy right. to make some of that debt a little less burdensome. It
4: sounds too big picture because if you look directly at corporate earnings, i will take you to Apple This is one company that you'd say might have a bit of pricing power. You saw that the 10 move up the scale, one of the most expensive devices uh, that consumers could possibly buy. A report went out late last week, and this was from Morgan Stanley around the impact of tariffs. And they're saying China Reliance could cost its EPS or cause its EPS to drop by 23% or $3 by four-year 2020 in the worst-case scenario around tariffs. So effectively, uh, that would uh, force Apple to raise prices, as you're talking about, to pass on the cost or effectively they take the hit on margins, which causes that downgrade to earnings.
3: Um, Yeah, so many things to talk about. Right, One, um, your original point about um, equity markets and where the the penny will drop next. Isn't it extraordinary that stock outflows have reached $116 billion this year? And that was a fact we got last year from that BAML survey. Uh, Equity investors pulled $20.5 billion out of global equity funds in the week that ended um, Wednesday, the, uh, the previous Wednesday. So that's very interesting. So people are selling stock. Who's buying it? Well, we know the buybacks are enormous as well. So it's very weird, asymmetrical things going on here. Equity investors taking money out of the stock market. The companies are still buying. You wonder about that. In terms of the inflation, I think you're right. But I don't know whether it will be profit for the companies as well because I think they are having to absorb a lot of this. And as Mr. Kudlow has said in interviews as well, and I think it might have been that Fox one as well, is that he slightly disagreed with the president about who will be taking the pain because the president... It says many things that are correct, uh, but the the fact that the Chinese are paying isn't the whole story. It's the American companies. It's the American affiliates of companies on the imports. They are the ones who pay the customs bills of these coming through. Now, they can either pass it on to customers Mm -hmm. or they can absorb that themselves. Very, very difficult as well to say to the Chinese suppliers, oh, by the way, uh, we're cutting the price. We're paying for goods as well um, because we've got this extra tax as well. So I think that the inflation is coming through, and there's a great stat here. In the latest CPI figures after the tariffs, again, I'm quoting Jim myself, because you reminded me there, But uh, at least uh, the, the laundry component, <laughs> the laundry component, laundry equipment component of CPI, i.e. washing machines, mm. surged. What do you think it went up of uh, since they were imposed in early 2018? So we're talking about year on year. Mm. 30%. Yeah, not bad, 20%, yeah. Mm. Yeah, extraordinary, isn't it? So, no. so you're right, it's coming in, but who's absorbing those extra costs? I think it's U.S. corporate. Let's just talk speak- stop- oh, just- about equity
4: markets here. What about credit markets? Because we, we've we missed the point that there were fairly huge uh, amounts of high-grade issuance coming to market last week. IBM was one of them, uh, Bristol-Myers Squibb was, was another. And effectively, there's a big uh, truckload of uh, offerings coming through to the market in coming weeks. But the pricing has been higher. When you think about where debt markets have been, the uh, treasury yield has come down, but the uh, amount on top of treasuries that is being asked by the demanded by the market much higher than a couple of years ago. So that's another cost on um, companies at this point. When we talk about are their earnings going to be sustained, are their earnings going to grow, mm. might have bigger payments to to try and fund some of these um, capital market demands.
0: It's interesting that that market is open again, though, because post the fourth quarter we did have weeks where there was no high yield issuance at all, mm. which made a lot of people very nervous because it then looked like the credit market had effectively frozen up and there wasn't liquidity. And, and back to your point about the, the equities, I think there's there's some interesting nuance in that, because as I looked at some of the numbers, it was international investors who were pulling out of US equity funds. Now, that I think, is curious, given that, as Karen was pointing out, actually the US markets have been relatively stable around the whole trade story. But we'll come back to these in just a second. China has yet to retaliate against increased US tariffs, but a reaction is expected. Head online to CNBC.com to see how Beijing could respond to the increase in tariffs.
4: Coming up on the show, from China to Iran, US Secretary of State Mike Pompeo praises President Trump for standing up to other countries. Our exclusive interview right after the break.
2: President Trump has done this. he's put, we've we've spoken the truth, right? Previous administrations just ignored China. We've called them out. They ignored the fact that intellectual property was being stolen. We've tried to push back against it and we will.
3: vessels were targeted by, quote, sabotage operations near the port of uh, Fujairah, according to a statement from the Foreign Ministry of the United Arab Emirates. Authorities did not blame a country or any other group for the incident, but described it as a, quote, dangerous development. Meanwhile, the Emirate of Fujairah denied reports of an explosion at the port itself. Important distinction there. The U.S. Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, will skip a planned visit to Moscow during an upcoming trip to Russia, according to a State Department official. However, Pompeo will meet with Russian leaders at the resort town of Sochi later this week, following talks on Iran and other European uh, issues with European officials in Brussels. So, um, Hadley, what a what a great opportunity and so many uh, geopolitical events to uh, speak to Mr. Pompeo about. Of course, not least trade policy as well. Uh, you caught up with him in L.A. where you are now, and you spoke to him exclusively. Do tell us more.
1: You're absolutely right, Steve. It was an excellent time to catch up with the Secretary of State, particularly coming at a time, as it does, as the United States continues to bolster its military presence in the Persian Gulf. I asked him specifically about that. I said, are you worried that there could be a conflict as a direct result of so much military hardware, not just from the United States, but from other Arab countries, as well as other nations in Europe as well, French and British ships? Can we see a conflict? Is there a chance for a miscalculation? He says, We are not going to miscalculate this. Now, I think it's very, very interesting, as you say, that this is a man who was supposed to be in Moscow and then in Sochi, meeting with uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin as well as Sergei Lavrov, and he seemingly ditched the Moscow leg of this trip to head to Brussels. Now, I got a little bit of background on this. No big meetings were going to happen during that Moscow leg of his trip, so it seemed like smart sense, essentially, to head to Brussels to talk Iran and other issues uh, with leaders there because the E3 are going to be meeting over the coming days. So it was an interesting move. But at the same time, one that the State Department seemed to think was, was an obvious one. And you'll remember, of course, that last week there was a lot of controversy as well over the fact that uh, Mr. Pompeo was supposed to meet with German chancellor Angela Merkel and suddenly decided to cancel that trip for parts unknown. Of course, later we discovered, as you know, that he went to Baghdad, that this was, of course, all part of protecting U.S. forces in Iraq and in the Persian Gulf. But it did cause a heck of a lot of waves, at least in the Western press. And I asked him to clear the air. Listen in.
2: I regret that I wasn't able to meet with Chancellor Merkel and my counterpart Heiko Moss. We've rescheduled we that it already. It's back on the calendar. Um, I'm confident we'll do this in the next couple of weeks. We've not announced the exact date, but I think we've got it now set that on a date that works for uh, both she and I, I very much want to have that conversation. I was surprised by that
1: backlash that you saw in the press.
2: Uh, only in this. Uh, the, our European partners are important allies on this issue with respect to the Islamic, Islamic Republic of Iran. Right? There's assassination campaigns taking place in their countries. They, even the Germans, have arrested Quds Force officials inside of their country. Uh, and they've seen, too, we've seen European businesses respond. Um, they understand American sanctions. They have almost entirely withdrawn their business operations from the Islamic Republic of Iran in spite of their government's efforts to keep some of them in there. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is the pressure that we hope to convince the leadership in Iran that there's another path, that there's a straightforward way forward. Uh, for them. And we're happy, as the President Trump says, we're happy to sit down and have a conversation with them, begin to have talks about ensuring they have no pathway to a nuclear weapon, something that was given to them under the JCPOA, that their missile program uh, comply with 2231, that's a UN Security Council resolution, and that this adventurism, this revolutionary effort to control capitals in Damascus and in Beirut and in Sana'a, uh, that, that's not appropriate activity, it's destabilizing, and we're asking them to uh, conform to the normal thing that normal nations do. Nothing more.
1: The U.S. Secretary of State, they're essentially talking about the destabilizing effect that Iran has across capitals and in. And frankly, the broader Middle East, and, of course, we have seen that over the last couple of years. We have focused on that a great deal, whether we were talking about Syria or Lebanon or even what's been happening in Yemen as well. Of course, all of this uh, is not happening in any kind of vacuum. I had the chance to sit down with him and ask him specifically about what he has seen in terms of those specific threats coming from Iran and, frankly, what that could mean for the broader region. Listen in.
2: What we have seen uh, from the Iranians is increased threats, and we have seen this reporting. It's real. Uh, it appears to be something that is uh, current, that is, things we're worried about today. So we have done all the right things to increase our security posture to the best of our ability. Um, but we also wanted to make sure that we had deterrent forces in place. So in the event that Iran decided to come after an American interest, whether that be in Iraq or in Afghanistan or in Yemen or, or any place in the Middle East, we were prepared to respond in an appropriate way.
1: There's a whole lot of military hardware that's going into the Persian Gulf right now. It's a place that I have lived over the last 10 years. Um, And in terms of this uptick, there are a lot of fears, whether they be in the military itself or externally in the region, about potential for miscalculations there. How worried
2: are you? We're not going to miscalculate. Uh, Our our aim is not war. Our our aim is a change in the behavior of the Iranian leadership. We hope the Iranian people will get what they finally want, what they so richly deserve. Uh, The forces that we're putting in place, the forces we've had In the region before, you know we often have carriers in the Persian Gulf, um, but the president wanted to make sure that in the event that something took place, we were prepared to respond to it in an appropriate way. And uh, as the secretary of state, I wanted to make sure that we had all the political diplomatic tools in the right place, and we want to make sure that we can uh, provide the president with an option set in in the event that the Iranians make a bad decision.
1: essentially there, the U.S. Secretary of State saying, you know, this was really not just about uh, providing the necessary tools in case something were to happen in this ongoing uh, conversation with Tehran, but also, of course, about keeping Gulf Arab states safe as well. And frankly, I did push back a little bit on that, guys, because at the end of the day, one of the questions uh, that we talked about so often is whether the U.S. public and so many of those who vote for Mr. Trump are fully aware of the trillions of dollars that are spent uh, securing the Strait of Hormuz for essentially Asian oil supplies. So it it strikes quite a different note and a different tone, I think, when you come at it from that kind of direction. And I also pushed him on oil prices as well, and he said, hey, listen, just look at the charts, look at the numbers. Everyone was anticipating that oil prices would spike as a result of what we did with the waivers. And he said, it hasn't happened. We're going to continue to make sure that those prices are are working for the american public but certainly guys we'll have to see if all of this continued tension has an impact
0: thank you for listening to squawk box europe express for more market moving news
3: you can head to cnbc.com
4: or join us again on this show with jeff cutmore steve sedgwick and karen Show weekdays on cnbc